Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint and empower the messenger and the message and that everyone that you've drawn here today, that you would land on each one right with where they're at in their journey with you. Pray that you'd open our eyes, open our ears, our hearts to what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe we're in a, in a place as a church that as a body of believers, we need to come together like never before. I believe in my heart that Satan is moving against the church of Jesus Christ, is moving against the church today, though it is nothing new because Satan has always moved against every work of God from the beginning of time. But how he moves against the church and those who call Jesus Christ their Savior is ramping up. Revelations, the book of Revelation, you know this, right? There are seven churches that letters are written to. Each of them, in their day, had a tremendous work, a tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. But when Satan moved against them, they were not ready for it, and to a church, they died. Even the church to which this letter was written, the church in Ephesus died. They died according to the story. They died because they left their first love. And they grew cold. And they stopped caring for each other. They stopped practicing the greatest commandment. Love God. Love people. Beloved, as we begin to move into this study on spiritual warfare and prepare ourselves for battle, I can't even begin to preach messages like this as, one, as your pastor. You need to hear me say, we need to be together. Nobody can get left behind. Nobody can get left out. It's not okay to have the Spirit of God bring somebody to your mind that you haven't seen for a while or something and just go, yeah, they haven't been. No, no, he's, he's probably prompting you to send a text, to make a call, to stop by. This is vital. The book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, has been so much more than a study for me. So much more than a series of sermons. This letter of Ephesians to us, 
Dover Church has been, I believe, the call of God to us. We have had defined for us what the body of Christ is and what it can be when we are collectively walking in the ongoing filling of the Spirit and when we are experiencing the fullness of God and when we are practicing taking off the old and putting on the new. We've been told who we are in Christ Chapters 1 through 3 and all of the marvelous resources given to us in those chapters. Then in chapters 4 through 6, we have talked about our response to who I already am. I am, you are, if you know Jesus Christ, redeemed, set free from the powers of darkness, forgiven. If that is who you are, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, I urge you, I implore you, I beg you, beloved, walk it out. Live it out. In a manner, live your lives in a manner that accurately reflects who you are. Because here's the truth about you if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. You are redeemed. You are holy. You are without spot or blemish or wrinkle. You are forgiven. You are free. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God. You've been given an inheritance. You have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. Live it out. Not in your own strength, but in His. What does that look like? Well, Paul unpacked it for us. I need to walk humbly. I need to walk gently. I need to walk with patience. My walk needs to be a walk that is all about unity in the body of Christ. We need to fiercely protect one another. We need to fiercely protect our love for one another. Here's why. We're in a war. Satan desires to destroy the unity of the church and the love of Christ that should exist there. What is our walk supposed to look like? It's supposed to be a Christ-like walk. It's supposed to be a walk in the light walk. It's supposed to be a wise walk. It's supposed to be a spirit-filled walk. It's supposed to be a submitting one to another walk. Uh, So much so that my whole desire in my relationship with you is I want to come underneath you and help you to be all that God intended you to be. It's to be a serving walk. 
to be a serving walk. If there's one, there's 50 ways as part of the Dover body that we can serve. I just want to help you out. If you're not letting God use you in a serving capacity in or as an extension of a local church, you're just not walking in obedience. He's made you to serve right out of Ephesians. There's all sorts of places of what that can look like for you. But in addition to all those things of what it means to walk that way, when it comes to this text, Paul says, listen, believers, if those things, to live out Ephesians 1 through 3, in the power and grace of God, Ephesians 4 through 6, if that's your desire, if you want to walk in the dimensions of walking a worthy walk, then there's a dimension that needs to be part of your walk. Not only is it going to be a love walk and a light of Christ walk and a Christ light walk and a unity walk, it is going to be a warfare walk. It's going to be a warfare walk. Because if you begin to open yourself up to the power of God, and He begins to change you from the inside out, supernatural transformation, not as much of a jerk next year as you are now, by God's grace. If you're going to move into that, if you're going to lean into His will for you and allow Him to use you to impact the kingdom of God, you are going to run right into the face of the enemy. You can't avoid that. If, however, you're just going to go through the motions as a Christian, and I use the quotes on purpose, if you're just going to come on a Sunday, sit, leave, sit, leave, sit, leave, and not allow any of it to impact your life, then you don't have to worry about spiritual warfare because you are no threat to the enemy. He's already defeated you. In fact, Assuming you've learned and discerned the difference between God bringing discipline in your life for some reason and the enemy's attacks, if you're not sure what that is, I can help you out. But I want you to take courage with something. When you recognize that the enemy is attacking you, you should smile a little bit. Must be doing something right must oppose some kind of threat to the enemy. It's a good day. And then you can smile a little bit bigger and say out loud, hey, you got your butt kicked at the cross and the empty tomb, and I'm his, so get out of my face. And move on with your day. People may have looked at you strangely from a distance. That's okay. We are a peculiar people. 
if we are in fact running the race that he set before us, if we are in fact pursuing a high calling of God that he has laid at the feet of every believer, if we are going against the grain, you will be countercultural. You will violate the status quo. If that's what you're moving into, then welcome to the war. Because Satan is going to be there. As I introduce this whole concept of the believer's warfare, I want to begin by giving you three fundamental truths as it relates to this whole thing. Truth number one, we've already been talking about it. We are in a war. We really need to know and understand that the Christian life is a warfare walk. Paul, in reflecting upon his life ministry, wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Why did he talk like that? Because it was a war. Listen to this. He says to Timothy, who was at one time struggling with his ministry, he was ready to quit. Because of the pressure, it had become too much. Paul writes to him, Timothy, my dear son in the Lord, be a soldier who endures hardship. Timothy, you need to expect that if you're going to stand, if you're going to stand firm, if you're going to retain the standard of sound teaching, if you're going to speak the truth in love, if you're going to stand and fight the fight of faith, then you're going to be opposed by Satan and the demons of darkness are going to come against you. That's just the way it is. Listen, the opposition from the enemy becomes the greatest as you and I as believers and as we as a church move more and more and more toward God and grow closer and closer to the truth of the word. Because as we do, we begin to open ourselves up more and more to the deeper things of God and walking in the power of God. And when we do that, you will run right into the teeth of the enemy. I think we're starting to turn a corner and I really want to express, though you didn't have other options, uh, but for the last two Sundays, those who came and participated in a a concert of prayer and praise, I, I, I want to thank you. One of the things that is lacking, be mad at me, I don't care. Argue with me, I don't care. From my perspective, one of the things that is a weakness of our church, is our prayer coverage. I think it's starting to turn a corner. And it's why I'm so thrilled that Cindy feels led by the Spirit of God to have an option during the Sunday school time to, hey, I want to get together and pray. Pray for ministry, pray for leaders. I'm not saying that you don't pray about those things. I'm saying together... And biblically, there's something different that happens when the body of Christ joins together and prays. 
That's just the truth. I think it's why the enemy always stirs something up, gives you something else to do when, yeah, I was going to go to prayer yesterday, I forgot all about it. I want us to understand something. As a church, in fact, part of our DNA, Dover Church, is we're a welcoming church. I've heard that over and over and over again. I was accepted. I'm welcome. And we want people, we want to be intentional about people feeling relaxed, accepted. But I don't ever want you to feel comfortable in an easy believism. We want to see people who are growing in their faith. We want to see people moving toward the deeper things of God, myself included. We want to see people move out of positions of mediocrity and away from being less than all that God has called you to be. I want you to scare the hell out of the enemy. When you get up in the morning, I want the enemy to tremble. Side note, the church in America is famous for this today. I have been guilty of it. But I just want to push back on something that we allow even to happen here. We like to try and make it easy for people to participate. We go out of our way in planning things. Leadership of, well, yeah, if we do that, if we, yeah, they might not come. It'll be too hard. No homework. We don't want homework because that's too hard. And we make it, and we make it easy. Now, I get the, under, the, the reason for it, but hey, high school basketball coach, has, you know, has it become your practice to, ah, oh, ladies, it's going to be easy this year. We're not, we're not going to get physically fit ahead of time. No running laps this year. Because we just want to have fun. I don't think that Coach Skyderman has ever said that and meant it <laughs> to any of his teams. I don't think there's a professor Who's going to say, yeah, don't worry about it. You don't really need to write that paper. I know I'm asking too much. I just want you to enjoy the class. I know there's not an employer who's just like, yeah, show up when you want to. I'll pay you the same anyways. In every area of life, we set a standard. You know what? Most people will rise to the standard. Why in the church over and over again have we set it down here? You know what happens when we set it way down here? This is what we get. I'm your friend. My name is Tim. Appreciate at least Chuck chuckled along with me. 
We've been called to be light. We've been called to wisdom. We've been called to the fullness of God. We've been called to to be imitators of Christ. We've been called to be filled, continually filled with the Spirit. We've been called to continually strip off and put off the old things that are not supposed to be a part of my life and to put on things that God wants to be a part of my life. And all those things will run right into the teeth of the enemy. So I say again, And I pray that you don't feel comfortable here, spiritually speaking. Like, you could come here and conclude that it's okay to just float and go through the motions. Accepted, loved, yes. I pray that you experience the love of God here. I pray that you experience being accepted here. I pray that you also feel the moving of the Spirit of God here. And I pray that while you're here, you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also hope and pray that you never sit still and become comfortable in your walk, in your journey. I hope you never sit still spiritually because there's a war. Therefore, as a church, we are here to equip people for the battle. We're in a war. We have an enemy, Satan, the accuser, who will stand in your way and keep everything that God would have you do, have a family do, have a church do, he will stand in the way. As an adversary, you better know it. And that's the second truth that we need to know. We have a real enemy. How about this for the greatest lie? To sit in a class, to read in a book, Satan's not real. Ah, whew. What a victory. Among other things, he is known as the adversary. Literally, it means the one who resists, the one who stands in your way. Satan, the devil, and every demonic spirit is real. It's it's not just some word to describe the force of evil. Satan stands in the way of and resists all God is doing. The devil is diabolical. The spirits of darkness are liars, slanderers. The one who would get involved in all sorts of malicious things, get you to go and begin to get you to buy into it. We better know it. The accuser, spiritual warfare, who will come to you and tell you you're worthless, tell you that you'll never be forgiven tell you that you're never going to be free. The liar that will come and say, you blew it again, he's not going to forgive you. The the liar who's going to come and tell you, you're a failure. Who will rob you of hope. 
You better know the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ and know how to take the truth and recognize the lie and call it a lie and speak the truth out loud or you are in a heap of trouble. I don't know if how many of you went in but part of the decoration that we did on purpose in the renovation of the coffee room so that any time you can go in there, you can be reminded of who you are in Christ. Listen, it has to become a part of you so that when the lie comes and says you're worthless, it says, no, I am so worthwhile, Jesus Christ died for me. You blew it again. Yep. I did, and I'm going to probably blow it again tomorrow, but I am already forgiven in Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. You better know those things or you're in a heap of trouble. Third truth you need to know is we have a resource. Good news. We have a resource. He that is in us is far, far greater than he who is in the world. Satan and all the demons of hell are defeated. One day, they're going to be locked up for eternity. Until that day, they still get to wage a battle against you and me. They are beaten by believing, by knowing that Jesus Christ has already won the victory. There is nothing a demon hates more than to be reminded of what has already been and what's coming. Getting beat up someday? Just start talking out loud about the victory of the cross. I say it out loud because they can't read your mind. An evil spirit cannot read your mind. He can plant thoughts into it, but he can't read it. So when you're getting beat up, say it out loud. Oh, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me, child of God, righteous one, seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, let me tell you about you. You were defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ. You okay? Satan is beaten by believing. That's why Paul didn't tell Timothy to just go fight the fight. He said, go fight the good fight of faith. Fight the fight of faith. The faith of what I believe and know is true based on God's word. And to tell him that he is a liar, Satan is a liar, every demonic spirit is a liar, it's his character every step of the way. If you are in Christ, you are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus 
And we've already learned in Ephesians, in Ephesians that every power and principality is under your feet, is under your authority because of who you are in Christ. You have all you need to defeat the enemy. But you got to do it. You got to lean into it. You got to fight the fight. That doesn't mean that you might not be stuck right now in your walk. In fact, you could know and be articulating everything I've been saying and you could still feel stuck. You can know you're free and proclaim you're free but not feel free. You could feel stuck. You could feel in bondage. And if that's true for you, I want you to know that there is freedom for you. You're just going to have to take it to another level with some help. So listen, if there's somebody in the room that feels stuck, you need to talk to me. Because you can be free. That's the truth. That's the truth. It doesn't matter what has happened to you in the past. You can be set free. It would be great if I thought people were actually with me. That would be great. (laughs) I know. That's what I said. (laughs) We're in a war. We have a real enemy. We have a resource. Important to understand we're going to be attacked. I want to give you a couple of things of how he attacks as we wrap this up. And then next week we're going to start unpacking the different pieces of the armor of God. I believe Satan's fundamental goal, his primary purpose in coming against the church and his dealings is to undermine the character of God. If you haven't heard anything yet, I want you to listen with a cultural ear to the rest of this message. I want you to listen to this and see how it plays out in the world around you. He wants to destroy destroy the credibility of God. He wants to make God, listen, he wants to make God unbelievable. Satan, the demonic realm, wants to make God unbelievable. He does this by undermining God's credibility. Credibility, simply defined the quality of being trusted and believed in. Cinnamons of credibility include trustworthiness, reliability, dependability, integrity, reputation. Webster's Dictionary defines credibility as the quality or power to inspiring belief. Satan would love nothing more than to undermine God's credibility, thus making him unbelievable. 
What might that look like in regards to us as a church or as believers? Well, consider one of the key ways that God desires to show himself. Listen, the way that God desires to show himself as credible in the world is through us. You and me, therefore, one of Satan's most diabolical schemes, I believe, for destroying the credibility of God is to come against the church. I can stand up here, get excited, yell, go too long. Don't say amen. Hopefully, preaching in the power of God, we can talk about redemption, love, freedom, but in our congregation, if we don't see the power of redemption, freedom, and love, if it's just words we're saying, it destroys credibility. It's not enough to say you can be free unless people are set free. People come into a body of believers and there's no life, no fire, no excitement about the moving of God, then our words lose power. We lose credibility. We're very easy to ignore. I tried it once. Tried the God thing. Didn't work. God's easy to ignore. He becomes unbelievable. But when the Spirit of God begins to move among a people and people's hearts are turned toward Him anew and afresh, when there is transformation in their lives and when it's allowed to happen, people can't stay away from that. They want to be a part of that. Why? Credibility. The message is real. Jesus, look at his teachings. He didn't just talk about it. He demonstrated it. And that's why people were drawn to him. It's useless to just talk about it, even if it's the right stuff you're talking about. There has to be the demonstration of the reality of the life and power of God. Amen? That's what I want in our church. I hope that's your prayer for our church. That people would, among us, would not just hear a message, they would experience the message because of you. Satan doesn't want that to happen. So how does the enemy move against the church? How does he destroy credibility? One, make us mediocre. Mediocracy, lukewarm. I believe mediocrity is the curse of the American church. I really do. Dead churches, not that the door's closed, dead churches, Satan's glory. How does Satan move and work in a church among believers to destroy credibility? Number two, destroying love and unity. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples, true followers, why? How? What's the evidence? People will know you're my true followers when you love one another. 
Therefore, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that the prime area that he's going to attack is to make you have an attitude about somebody, gossip, slander about somebody, be unkind to somebody. Recognize it. Rebuke it. Word we don't use anymore. Wow, I, Lord, I come against this attitude I have towards my brother or sister in Christ. I receive your forgiveness. But I take back this ground that I've given over to the enemy. Pursue love for one another. Paul says, do you remember? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speech be put away from you. Take it off. Why? Because that's not who you are. We're in a war. Satan would love for us to become bitter and angry and slander because it destroys the credibility of the church, it destroys the credibility of God, and he becomes unbelievable. Listen, when we permit bitterness to move in my life and anger and wrath and slander and malicious gossip, listen, when that stuff's going on, God is not using you, but you are being used. Satan will move against the church. We need to be mindful of his schemes. Shine a light on it. He would desire to lead us to mediocrity. He would love to destroy unity and love that exists. But not only that, he will use persecution and peer pressure. Now let's just pause here for a minute and I'll say, we know nothing of persecution in the U.S. We do know some stuff about peer pressure though even within the church. What's it look like? Well, he would like to frustrate you and your growth from taking place. Paul says this, don't be naive. All you who pursue godliness, all you who are godly, you're going to suffer. If in your God box, your box, that you think in Christianity, I don't have any pain or suffering, you believe a lie already. And then when you have pain and suffering, you're going to go, oh, God didn't hold up his bargain. Doesn't say anywhere. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Not the end of the verse. But be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. You know what that means for you? You are an overcomer. Go through the book of Acts. Every time the wind of the Spirit moves, it is followed by waves of resistance. Every time God shows up in you, just expect to get nailed. That's just the way it is. So if you're trying to do it on your own, you're in a heap of trouble. You don't have some life-on-life stuff happening you're in trouble. Small groups starting up pretty soon. You should be in one. Satan does not want you to be a person of significance. He does not want you to be who you already are because in Jesus Christ, you are significant. He just doesn't want you to live it out. He'd rather you be 
mediocre, complacent, insignificant, lukewarm. Live that way, you won't have to worry about spiritual warfare. You will have to worry about discipline, but that's another sermon because he loves you that much. Now catch this. When you and I begin to break away from mediocrity, when you and I really begin to grow up in Christ and imitate him, stripping off the old, putting on the new, one of the things that Satan will do And I have seen this over and over and over again. One of the things he will do is he will use other believers to discourage you. As you're breaking out of mediocrity, breaking away from pretending, taking off your Dutch facade, being authentic, being real, being transparent, beginning to mean business with God. Satan will use other believers in your life to pull you back. Hey, you're going a little too far with this. Taking this a little too serious. You know, God's really challenging me. Oh, you know, take it easy. Don't be stressing out about that. God loves you. You're on fire for God. Satan will bring people in your lives, well-meaning people, to put out the fire. I've experienced it firsthand. It'll happen. Have you ever shared with great excitement and enthusiasm about what's God doing in your life with another believer and they look at you like you're nuts? You are a peculiar person. I believe that mediocrity in the church today is so rampant, listen, that very often when it comes to someone who really is on fire, he or she looks a little odd. Did you hear that? It's really sad, isn't it? that somebody who's on fire for God would look strange to us. We need to turn that around. We need to turn around so that when somebody is walking in mediocrity, that looks strange. How about that? How about walking that way? Mediocrity, not okay. Why? Because the life of God in you is awesome. I wish it weren't true, but it is. The more you grow as a believer, the more you will feel the pressure to move back and quit growing. Go back to where it's comfortable. You know why? Because when you're on fire, you make mediocre people, mediocre, yeah, those people feel uncomfortable. You'll make them feel uncomfortable. It exposes them, and that's why they push back. If you've been the one who's pushed back, listen up. How does Satan move in a church among believers to destroy credibility? Causes us to be people of mediocrity. 
breaks up love and unity. We'd use persecution and peer pressure. We're going to look at more tactics that he uses as we start looking at the belt of truth next week. But again, as we have introduction, you just need to understand we're at a war. The enemy's real. But we have a resource. I'm going to close us. <clears throat> Worship team had another song. I'm sorry, you guys. But it's late. We're going to go, okay? Just stand with me. Here's a benediction. Before you walk out of this room, would you get with one person and pray? One person and pray for them, them for you, to fight the good fight, to stay in the battle, to be engaged, to lean in. Pray against mediocrity. Before you leave, pray with one person over each other and you're dismissed. God bless.